Well, I am uh, glad that you are all here with us today. Uh, you know, there's uh, been a lot of bad news on the news. Uh, it's kind of hard to watch what's happening in Paris and seeing uh, terrorist bombs. And uh, we uh, obviously are sympathetic towards what's happening in Paris. Uh, we felt it personally with the Boston Marathon bombings not that long ago. And uh, there's a sense where there's... Uh, you know, a lot of um, anxiety in the world, there's a lot of insecurity, there's a lot of suffering. We're seeing the ongoing uh, challenge with the Middle East, folks, uh, you know, on boats uh, trying to get to Europe and, uh, and dying in the way. It's just very, it's very depressing and uh, it can be a little overwhelming. Uh, you know, in one sense, uh, we know that all's not right with the world uh, and this is not the way it should be. Uh, somehow or other, if it's in Paris, uh, you know, and you've got a job and you're doing okay, it just seems a little far away and it's not as personal. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, if it is personal, like it was with the Boston bombings, then it's a different thing. Or if you've lost your job or if you're going through struggles, uh, then uh, things that aren't right in this world seem to be a little bit more personal. But uh, I want to talk today about how God loves us uh, and how he's on like a rescue mission. Uh, he's intentionally uh, trying to rescue us. Uh, I, you know, there's a lot of heartwarming stories that you uh, hear about and video clips that you, you, you see where despite uh, things that are problematic or challenging, there are individuals or organizations which are saying, uh, let's try and make a difference. Even if it's only a small uh, difference, or if it's only one person or one organization, uh, let's try and, and, and make a difference in the world. And, uh, and that's helpful. But on a, a macro scale and on a micro scale, uh, God is on a rescue mission. There's, there, there's a big plan that God has for us. Uh, there's also a, a personal plan where God is interested in us individually and personally. But today, I, I want to look at uh, the big plan uh, that God has a, uh, a new exodus, so to speak. There's a sense where he's, he's, he's rescuing people and uh, he's, you know, uh, has a plan and always has had a plan. But sometimes uh, we have to sort of get the macro view uh, and not get lost in the micro view. But uh, I have a little bit of a challenge today because in trying to give a macro view of God's plan, he, this, this exodus, the new exodus uh, that, that God is, is up to, um, it, it kind of gets like uh, detailed. And, you know, you keep trying to not get too much detail, but get the overview. But to explain the overview, you get down to the details. Uh, but God is on a, let's say, uh, a new exodus. Uh, and I want to explain this a little bit. Uh, I'm talking about uh, God is rooted in, uh, Jesus is rooted in what happened in Passover, but it's a new Passover. Uh, God is interested in how the Israelites went through the Red Sea, but now he wants us to go through the waters of baptism. And there's a connection. There was a connection with God saying, I want to take the Israelites to the promised land. And there's a sense where God wants to take us to the promised land. 
but it's a new promised land. It's different. So it's similar, but it's different. It's rooted in the old, but it's got a, a new uh, twist or a new um, way of looking at it. And so what I want to try and do uh, today is uh, look at the ex Exodus story, uh, perhaps uh, focusing a little more on Passover and seeing how what Jesus has done and is doing uh, is rooted in this area, but it's new and it's different. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the challenge that, that we have uh, today. But uh, God is on a rescue mission. Bless that. <laughs> if that's your kid, you didn't hear a thing. Some mom's like, oh, this is impossible. Let me go rescue my kid. I can't hear my kid cry for one minute. Kid will be okay. But uh, look, look at a few uh, psalms. You know, sometimes the psalms are, are kind of handy. So, for instance, Psalm 105, which I don't have in, in, the, in the deck. But uh, Psalm 105 is essentially a summary of the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus. And uh, I think one of the reasons... Uh, God would give us a summary or Psalm 105 is to say, look, the details of Genesis and the details of Exodus are excellent, but it's also kind of handy to have like the overview of like what's going on there. So Psalm 105 kind of does that. But uh, if we look at, say, Psalm 119, the longest Psalm, uh, verse 81, uh, we get a sense of God's uh, rescue uh, idea, but from Outside, it says this, I am worn out waiting for your rescue. And this is why we love the Psalms, right? Because we can identify with them. Many of you could say, I too, God, am worn out waiting for you to rescue me. And uh, so that's the psalmist. He's saying, I'm worn out waiting for your rescue, but I have put my hope in your word. So I don't understand it all, God. I know that you're personal. I know that you're loving. I know you're going to make this, this world right. I, 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 I'm asking you to rescue me personally. Uh, and in the interim, I put my hope in your word. And I'm just, like, just going to follow your ways, your path, and you're going to make it all right the way you're going to make it right. Uh, or Psalm 62.8, it says this, Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. You know, when there's bombings going on, when there's, uh, you know, lives being lost at sea, when your own lives are falling apart, pour out your heart to Him, for God is your refuge. You know, just as, you know, folks are like, I've got to get to Europe, or folks coming up from South America, I've got to get to America, you know. No, God, God is our refuge. Let me just pray and ask God to help me with this uh, difficult topic uh, today. So, Lord Jesus... I just ask that uh, you would help me preach your word, that uh, we can see what it is that you're doing in our lives personally and what it is that you're doing globally. Lord, I just lift up uh, this message today. I invite the presence of your spirit, Lord, to help uh, make it applicable to our own lives. Uh, in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so uh, we have the Exodus story, and uh, we haven't had a chance to go through uh, how God was working with Pharaoh in all the plagues. But one of the issues that was 
being done there. They have all these plagues. And what God is doing, He's trying to establish with a people group that don't know Him, that He is the superior God. And so uh, each plague was really dealing with one of the gods of Egypt. One of the gods that they worship, uh, God is saying, I'm superior to that. I know you have power in your gods, but my power is superior. And I'm going to be the one and only God, and I'm going to destroy each of your gods individually. Uh, All the things that you worship and uh, you aspire to, uh, God is going to transform it. And it culminates uh, with with Passover, uh, where God is saying, okay, uh, Pharaoh, you wouldn't let my people uh, free. And, and yet, on the one hand, God is, as I often say, large and in, and in charge. You would think he would just like uh, change Pharaoh's heart and it would be, be easy and the people would be out of here. And yet he says, okay, there's a mixture of people's free will uh, to do what they want to do, but actually God's still in control. So on the one hand, God says, look, Pharaoh's not going to let you go. And then he's going to get close, and then he's going to change his mind. And, and you watch this unplaying uh, in the book of Exodus. But God assures his people, eventually, you will be released to go. And there is this uh, transformation that takes place uh, in Exodus where a people group who were slaves become you know, miraculously uh, set free. And uh, there's a transformation where God's power is so great that, uh, you know, Egypt is changed at that time. And uh, the the Hebrew people are changed at that time. They are transformed into a new people group and into something totally different. And overnight, we find two million people getting up and leaving loaded with cash, with money, with animals. And they leave formerly slaves and now they uh, set free. I mean, just a, a dramatic a change in uh, that whole region at that particular time. But the, the Passover meal uh, is particularly important or interesting here because what God is doing is He's saying, look, I, I have very specific instructions. Don't mess up. Follow these instructions very specifically. Uh, and, you know, you could question the instructions. You could say, this is kind of weird. Or, you know, why do you do it this way, God? Is... Or you could just say, okay, these are God's instructions, and this is what, is what they are. So if we read here in Exodus chapter 12 about Passover, while the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, on this month will be the first month of the year for you. So in other words, he's changing the calendar for the Hebrew people. He's saying, this is a new start. I'm going to do something different. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb and a young goat for sacrifice. And then it goes on and says, not just like any old lamb. Don't do what you'd want to do. You don't like sacrifice the one that's about to die, the sickly one, and just like you meet your obligation to God. No, what God is saying, I want your first, I want your healthiest, I want your best, and that's the one I want you to sacrifice. I mean, it's, just, it's, like, it's like painful. It's like, okay, God is saying the first and the best. So we see in verse 5, the animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Perfect. 
And then uh, specific instructions uh, in the middle of verse 6. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb uh, or young goat at twilight. Exact timing. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and on top of the door frames of the houses. And then at night you must roast the meat over a fire and uh, you must have bread without yeast. And, you know, eat this meal, you know, enjoy this meal, but you also got to get ready. I mean, you're going to eat this meal like you're going to be going somewhere and it's going to happen quickly. So, you know, eat up, no doggy bags, no leftovers, don't take anything with you. What you can't eat, you either bury it or you burn it. I mean, there's no, it's dependency on God here. And in verse, the middle of verse 11, eat the meal with urgency for this is the Lord's Passover. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And then you know the story, you know, so the angel of death passes over the land and slaughters every firstborn, and you know, including Pharaoh's firstborn son, and there's wailing, and, and the whole of Egypt, as you can well imagine, is just like, you know, in pain. And, he, and Pharaoh calls Moses in the middle of the night and says, Moses and Aaron, listen, you know, this is ridiculous. Get out of here. I mean, it's obvious your God is superior to our God. You know, you know I give up. I, I, I've stopped fighting. Get out. Just, just leave. And uh, that's indeed uh, what they do. And uh, so they leave Egypt. They leave Egypt. Now, there's many, um, there's many different themes or many different rabbit trails one could go on here. And uh, I'm going to try and not do too many rabbit trails. But one point that I want to uh, point out here is that God has always been on a rescue mission. And although the Jewish people were the primary target, it was inclusive of others. There were always others that could become blessed, that become part of the, of the Jewish uh, tradition. Uh, and there was a sense where you needed to believe in the God of the Hebrews. And you didn't have to be Hebrew. Uh, you, you, but you needed to believe in the God of the Hebrews. But there was also like a price to be paid. I mean, like you had to be serious about your faith. You couldn't just say, yeah, I believe. You know, let me participate in the, in the Passover meal. No, it was like believe and be circumcised. Ow. I mean, you know, like there's like pain, there's commitment here. It's not like, okay, I'll just believe. you. No, no. Uh, and so we see this in, in Exodus uh, 12, uh, 43. No outsiders are allowed to eat the Passover meal, but any slave who has been purchased may eat it if he has been circumcised. So, you know, there's a sense like, okay, the slave's part of the family. He's been purchased. The slave's not going to be circumcised unless he's like into this idea. And, but if he is, great. But if you're just an outsider and you're not willing to be circumcised, you can read all the details here, you, you're, not, you're not in. And we see this uh, actually happening uh, throughout these early pages of scripture in, in Exodus uh, where non-Jews basically have a way in uh, and God is always saying, hey, the Jewish people were supposed to be the primary target, but it wasn't supposed to end with them. It was supposed to be a rescue mission for all the nations. 
th that's the point that I'm trying to uh, to relay here. So uh, there's a great theologian, a British theologian called N.T. Wright. He's an Anglican bishop, and uh, he's really uh, honed in on this idea of the new exodus, new Passover, new promised land, and written on it. And, and uh, uh, you know, I'm using some of his material here because I, I, I like the theme that he's, he's tracking on. But if we jump over now to, to Jesus, who uh, many of us uh, are familiar with the connection here, with Jesus saying, look, uh, not only in the New Testament uh, do we have to have a Passover lamb, Jesus is saying, I am the Passover lamb. Jesus is saying, I was perfect. I have no defects, and uh, I am sacrificing uh, my life uh, for you. That's what uh, Jesus is saying. And uh, just as uh, during the Exodus time, uh, God was doing a monumental shift and saying to the Jewish people, hey, listen, there's a new calendar. There's a new plan that I have to get you out of Egypt. With Jesus, he's saying, hey, reset the calendar once again. There's a new calendar. There's a before Christ and after Christ. And he's saying, there's a whole new covenant that I'm doing. And I'm going to do it when? On Passover weekend. Uh, Jesus decides that that's the weekend where he's going to die. That's the weekend where he's going to be the sacrificial lamb. That's the weekend when he's going to be raised from the dead. And that's the weekend that's going to impact the whole world, not just the Middle East. And indeed, it's played out that way. And it's still playing out that way. But if we look at what was happening, uh, there's this interesting, perplexing, uh, mysterious uh, event that happens, uh, which would be uh, Jesus having an interaction uh, with Moses. You know, they go up to the mountain, there's this transfiguration, and there's this connection with the, the old Exodus, the new Exodus, so to speak, where verse 30 of Luke 9 Luke 9.30 says, Suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, well, what are they talking about? I mean, you know, got this really uh, supernatural event happening here. And in verse 31, they were uh, glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. You know, so there's this tying together of this, the old and the new. Uh, here we have Jesus saying, okay, Moses, you, you led the first exodus, and I'm about to lead the second exodus, so to speak, uh, and it's going to take place uh, this time right in, in Jerusalem, and, uh, you know, it, it, there's going to be a new promised land, and I'll talk about that in a moment. So uh, we get uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, writing the book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans is really a dense, wonderful book. I mean, for some people, they just say this is like their go-to book. You know, just like it just answers a lot of questions. And for other people, they say, oh, I just, I just don't like Romans. It's just like way too legalistic, complicated. I, I miss it. I miss the theme. But if we look at the big theme of Romans chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, uh, which I want to do in overview, we see this link of this whole connection between what Jesus has done in creating a, a new uh, exodus, a new Passover, a new baptism, a new promised land, uh, and pointing us that direction. In chapter 5 uh, of Romans, uh, we get the idea of what, how do, are people made right with God? 
Uh, and I'll just read verse 1 and 2 of Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You know, it's not like what we did. It's what Christ did. And there's a sense where God is saying we can experience His glory despite everything that's happening in the world, besides all the problems. We can experience His peace and His glory right now. But it's not only that. There's a new promised land that we can be looking forward to. There's a future that God wants to point us to. So in chapter 5, uh, we have this sense of uh, how we made right with God. In chapter 6, we have baptism. And all the imagery in baptism is pointing back to Exodus. You know, you were slaves. You were rescued. You were freed. You were dead. You know, the idea is this. As the, as the Hebrew people passed through the Red Sea with the waters all piled up and they walked through on dry land, when they get through on the other side, they are new people. They are a free people. On this side, they've got the enemy is pursuing them. Uh, when they get through the other side, the enemy is defeated and the enemy never pursues them again. Yeah, there's a sense when uh, we become uh, believers of Christ, uh, there's a new nature in us which is being transformed. And uh, we, we wrestle uh, with our desire to do the wrong thing up uh, 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 left to our own devices, we, we tend to go down the wrong path. And God is saying, I need to give you a new nature. Uh, I need to free you from this enemy that's been pursuing you or is pursuing you. And you need to become something new. And God is saying, when we go through baptism uh, as an adult, what we're doing is symbolically we, we're being put to death under the water. And I love to preach this passage at every baptism we do. And as you come up, you now a new creation. There's something different. But it's not the baptism that saves you. The, the baptism is just a symbolic representation. It's an outward act of obedience of what has already taken place when you've received Christ into your heart. And so, you know, God is giving us these two ordinances if we're Protestants in the New Testament. Baptism and communion. Uh, baptism, communion. And God is saying, you just do these. You don't fully understand everything that's happening. I'm asking you to just, just, just do these in obedience to me. And so we do. But in Romans chapter 6, uh, let me just read a few verses here to tease out some of the references to the Exodus. Verse 6. No, well, let me start verse 3. Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in his baptism, you were joined with him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. There's something, we're linking ourselves to Christ, there's death involved, and we're saying, like Christ, we're dead. We're dead to an old nature, an old way. And verse 6, we are no longer slaves to sin. He has the whole Exodus motif. They were slaves in Egypt and uh, we, we get saved from, with God. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves to sin, for we died with Christ and were set free 
from the power of sin. Set free, Exodus, getting set free out of Egypt. And then verse 14, sin is no longer your master, slaves and masters. You are no longer, uh, you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. There's something which has changed. And then verse 16, don't you realize that you became the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You, uh, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. And then verse 19, but you must choose righteous living. You know, there's a sense like, okay, if you obsess, if you focus on the wrong things, you'll become a slave to that. If you just like do the things and focus the things and spend your time, spend your money on things that God doesn't want you to do, you'll become a slave to that thing. But on the other hand, God is saying, I've got a good choice for you. You can be a slave to me. I mean, you're going to be a slave either way. I mean, uh, this is not like great American language, right? This is biblical language. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to God, but there's no freedom. Uh, in fact, there's freedom. You either get freedom from sin and freedom in God. So what God is saying is, you're going to be a slave one way or another. Just choose. Be my slave. Because if you're my slave, you'll have freedom. That's, that's God's plan. So we've got Romans 5, we've got Romans 6, and then Romans 7, we've got Mount Sinai. Uh, in the Exodus, he gets him through the Red Sea, through uh, the wilderness, and finally gives him the law at Mount Sinai. And uh, at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, he tells him how to live, he, he's given all these instructions. And then in Romans chapter 7, we have the New Testament interpretation of the law, and uh, it, it reads this way. Uh, Romans 7, 6. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Okay, it's not like the law was useless. It was like the law uh, has a different uh, understanding. We live by the Spirit. It's no longer our own effort. It's God that gives us uh, the motive. And then chapter 8 uh, of Romans is sort of the high point. Uh, this is like one of those uh, huge chapters. Uh, you know, this all builds to really the new promised land, so to speak, uh, the new creation. So it builds in... Uh, it, Initially, in Romans 8, uh, let me just read 8, 1 through 4. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You know, it's not, uh, it's not like you've now got your way into being right with God. God is saying, I have just declared that you are right. Uh, it's a very uh, frustrating concept for many to, to grasp. They, they just... It just seems unfair that God would just declare that you're righteous because you believe in Him, as opposed to first cleaning up your act and acting right and being right and being perfect, because you'll never get there, and that's the whole idea of the law. You, you can never just do it. So God just says, you are right. You are perfect. I declare it so. And it just seems too easy. And yet, that's exactly what God is saying. He said, it wasn't easy. Jesus had to die. He was the perfect sacrificial lamb. Anyway, so in, in verse, uh, first few verses of Romans, 
uh, we get this. And we get that God has freed us from the power of sin, which leads to death. And the law of Moses, which was unable to save, save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. And then finishes in, in verse 4. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. I mean, this is heady stuff. This is hard to unpack. But what God is saying to us, like if we get the big picture, if we get the overarching picture, it's so rich. It's so helpful. It so explains this, this frustrating struggle that we have where we follow a perfect God and yet we're not perfect and yet God's done it for us and you know, yet we, we still mess up but we still desire Him and, and God is saying, I'm on a rescue mission. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make you right. Just hang in there with me. It's going to work out well for you on this earth and in the future. Just hang in there. And it sort of crescendos into the new promised land. The new promised land, it's not Jerusalem. It's not like America. The new promised land isn't like we die and we go to heaven, like as souls, just like some, you know, no body, just some spiritual being. It's not that. The new promised land is a totally renewed, changed earth where there's no more sin, where we have physical bodies and we have the presence of God and it's just like, you know, creation is no longer in conflict or groaning. So we read in Romans 8, uh, 18 through 24, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. I mean, who are the people that really trust and really believe in Jesus and, uh, you know, who is going to be sure? Whose names are written in the book of life? Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. I mean, God's like the new promised land, the new uh, exodus isn't just like fixing a few problems. It's totally changing everything. I mean, we're reading here that even creation is battling and is frustrated. And God is going to do a whole new thing. And then the verse which is so helpful for us uh, now as we battle through you know, disasters in Paris and disasters in our own lives and, and our own bodies fall apart and people die and, and uh, we struggle when we lose uh, loved ones. And uh, Jeff, a family pastor here on staff, his dad just died. On Thursdays, away at, uh, doing a funeral tomorrow. You know, uh, many of you have got folks which are elderly, and, and, and we're battling some of your lost folks. And, and there's a sense of, okay, there's, as believers, uh, we have a hope. And it's uh, different to any other religious group. You're not going to be reincarnated into some, you know, animal and then hopefully work your way up the scale. No, you're going to be like resurrected with a new body. And those that have faith and believe in Christ, uh, you're going to see them again. You're going to be with them. Uh, and we read in Romans 8.39, No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just an incredible promise. An incredible promise. I mean, this is the stuff that kind of gets us through the downsides of life, the difficult parts of life. It's like, I have a hope in Christ. Uh, I have the hope that my life right now uh, is going to be meaningful. Uh, it's not just the future, but the future is certainly going to be meaningful. Now, 
if you're following your bulletin insert and you say, okay, you know, Rob, bring it down a level. So what? You know, so what? I mean, I get the big picture. Well, I'm still like, okay, I, I want you to get the big picture. Uh, but the Passover was the model and the new creation is the goal. So if you're filling your blanks, Passover was a model. New creation is the goal. Uh, God has used the whole Old Testament, the Passover model, but he's taking us into a new exodus, into a new goal, into a new promised land. And the means is Jesus. Uh, you know, Jesus sort of said, okay, bring it down a level. You know, so what? How do we do this? And he gave us the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, there's two like references here to the Exodus theme where Jesus is saying, like, I want you to get this, guys, you know, girls, so get this Exodus motif. Uh, the first one is regarding manna and provision. And the whole idea, we didn't cover this in Exodus, but uh, the people were given food, they were given quail, they were given meat, like on a daily basis, and they weren't allowed to stuff it in their pockets and keep it for lunch the next day. They had to just like eat what was there for that day and then depend on God. And so in the Lord's Prayer, God says, give us today our daily bread. You know, it's a reminder that we need to be dependent on God, uh, that He is on a rescue mission. He rescued the the, the Hebrews out of Egypt, he's going to be with us. He'll rescue us and he'll provide for us daily. There's a dependence on him. And then uh, the final part of the Lord's Prayer is this, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one, you know, or deliver us from the, you know, these are all Exodus words, Exodus language. Deliver us, you know, out of Egypt. Deliver us, rescue us. And it's not just evil like some sort of general sense. It's the evil one. It's personal. We are in a battle. And, you know, when we see these acts like in Paris, it's like it's not just one guy that's, you know, got psychological problems. Uh, it's not just mental issues that are at task. And it's not just a group. I mean, it's like, okay, it seems like there's something larger and bigger uh, at hand. And Jesus is saying, Yes, we need to be rescued from evil and the evil one. Uh, it, it's, there's, there's a cosmic battle going on that we either understand or we don't. We either believe it or we don't. We, we either get God's insight and in saying there's something bigger going on here and God's in control. And there's a, there's a battle being uh, waged and you are uh, being impacted. The fact that you desire to want to do evil when you don't, really want to do evil, but you do it anyway, as Paul would say, is this uh, battle that's going on. So today, I, I want us to do communion because it's so, uh, you know, I just feel I can't preach on Passover and preach and talk about, uh, you know, I, I can't do baptism today because we can't do everything. But if, if you haven't been baptized, you know, plan on being baptized when we do our next baptism. But we can do communion today. Now, we normally do communion, you know, the first Sunday of the month, but there's no like explanation in the Bible when you should do communion. It just says, do this regularly. So uh, today we want to do uh, communion. But today in communion, I want us to focus on uh, 1 Corinthians 11, tw uh, 26. And I, I, I wanted you just, uh, let me just read this verse, and then I want to uh, tease this out as we take communion. It says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until it 
he comes again. Uh, what the Apostle Paul is saying, when you take communion, and particularly today, because I don't have a chance every time we take communion to sort of dig into you know, different facets or dis- different aspects of communion, but today I do, so I want to talk about it. Uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, when you take communion, when I take communion today, what I'm doing is I'm announcing, I- I'm preaching, but I'm not allowed to preach with words. I'm preaching by my actions. I'm making an announcement. And the announcement I'm making is all about Jesus' death and resurrection. And what you're announcing to the world, what you're doing by your actions of taking communion, is that you're saying, I have faith in Jesus. I believe. I mean, it's sort of like this connection with the Jewish uh, outsiders joining the Jewish people. I believe in God, but there's something else. Be circumcised. In the New Testament, we said, don't worry about the circumcision thing. Have faith in Christ. But God is saying there's two ordinances you need to do. You need to be baptized and you need to take communion. That, that's what you need to do. That's your, that's your doing part besides your faith part, your believing part. So in taking communion, you're saying, I believe in Christ. You're saying, not only have I believe in Christ, uh, you know, many people believe, but you've actually received Christ. You're saying, Christ, you know, come live within me. Uh, you're saying, God, when you come and live within me, I'm inviting your Holy Spirit to change me from within. I'm asking you, God, uh, to help me live your way. And I'm going to actively and intentionally try and resist the evil one and resist evil and resist doing wrong because I'm going to rely on your spirit within me to keep choosing to do the right thing. And I have to struggle, struggle through this on a daily basis. But that's what I'm doing. I'm saying, Jesus, help me. Help me to do the right thing. I've received your Holy Spirit. And the way I know what's right is I'm going to live according to your Bible, to your word. That's going to be my guide. Not what I think is right or what other people are telling me. What you say is right. I'm going to obey your word because I want to. And there's a sense where we're saying, God, you have rescued me. You have found me, and you have rescued me. I haven't rescued myself. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I don't have the ability to do it, but you did, and you have. And then we're saying, uh, you know, that we're declaring that you died on the cross uh, for us, and that uh, you are giving us a new hope. Uh, You know, for some of you uh, today, you've been away from from the Lord uh, and you, you, you're sort of saying, you know, I've lived this life over there, and I've tried the church life, and, and I've tried the other life, and I'm kind of just here and there and everywhere. And what Jesus is saying to you today is recommit. You, you know, take communion today, but take it saying, Jesus, I'm just trying again. I'm asking for your spirit. I'm asking for you to renew the way I live and the way I think and the way I walk. That's great. Do that today. Uh, for some of you, I would suggest don't take communion. I mean, if you're saying that's not what I'm doing, I don't understand God. I'm not asking for to live this way. Don't do it. Don't do it just because everybody else is doing it or this peer pressure. That's a bad reason to take communion. Today, what you're doing, you're announcing, you're saying, God, I, 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 I want to live for you. I believe in you and I want to live for you. You're not announcing that you're perfect. You're announcing that Jesus is perfect. You're acknowledging that you're not perfect, in fact. And you're saying, God, I need you. I, I need your help. I, you know, using biblical language, I am a sinner and I need to repent. That's healthy. That, that's like reality. That's like saying, okay, you acknowledge where you're at. But if your attitude is, 
No, I'm just okay. I'm fine. I don't need God. Don't take communion. It's, it's just not going to help you out. Uh, you, do it if you, if you feel like you're right with God. Do it if you feel like you're making a, uh, a comeback to God. Uh, and do it today. If this is the first time you've ever really given this any thought. And you say, yeah, God, I, I want to be rescued. Uh, I'm really delighted that, that you have a hope for me. And uh, you might have walked in here as a total non-believer. And you're saying, you know, I want to give this a shot. I, I want to try what it feels like to ask Jesus to be in my life and to have Jesus live within me. Do it. Ask. Pray. I mean, you can do it alone. You can do it right now. You can just be, you know, tracking with me as I'm saying it. Uh, you can come forward for prayer after communion, I mean, after worship. But let's do communion. Come on up, uh, worship team. Uh, Ron, thanks for uh, taking this up. But if you want to say, God, I'm just declaring, as it says in 1 Corinthians, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. And again, what is Jesus saying? He says, remember, my body was broken. My blood was shed. And so we take, uh, take communion. Folks, come on up when you're ready to take communion. We're going to take communion. Then we're going to go into worship. And uh, you might want to spend some time in your seat now. You might want to spend some time in your seat afterwards. As we're worshiping, you might want to spend time uh, standing and worshiping. Or you might want to spend time sitting and praying as worship is taking place.